Hello and welcome to the Our Birkbeck podcast. Our Birkbeck is an exciting year-long initiative to share and showcase the impact members of the Birkbeck community are having around the world. In this podcast series, you'll hear from our alumni, students, staff and friends, whether they are making a difference in their community, bringing about change to their industry or shaping the lives of those around them. We celebrate their story. To find out more about the Our Birkbeck initiative, please visit campaign.bbk.ac.uk. In this episode of the Our Birkbeck podcast, Louisa Staley from Birkbeck's Development Alumni Team interviews Birkbeck alumna Michelle Mitchell. Hello everyone, I'm Louisa Staley and I'm delighted to be joined today on an Our Birkbeck podcast by CEO of Cancer Research UK and Birkbeck alumna, Michelle Mitchell OBE. Michelle, welcome. Thank you, delighted to be here. Thank you so much, that's fantastic. Well, I thought we could just kick off with a, with a really easy question, um, but actually quite a broad one. Um, tell us about yourself. So I grew up in Merseyside, which is near Liverpool in the 80s, and I was the first in my family to go to university. I studied uh, economics at Manchester and then came to Birkbeck to study my MSc in politics and public administration. Um, delighted to do both of those things uh, and then moved on uh, to work in Parliament uh, between the years of 1994 and 1997 where I worked for an MP at the time and got a wonderful understanding of how Parliament and politics worked but felt quite deeply rooted in my values that charities were probably the best place to affect social change and um, push forward with those things that are important to me including equality and social justice, uh, as well as improving the health of, of the nation. And I have had a long career working in charities ever since, including currently Cancer Research UK, but previously the Chief Exec of the MS Society, the Director General of Age UK, and also been a non-exec board member of NHS England. So delighted to have had the opportunity to, I think, make the world a better place through the work I've been able to do with and for charities. Absolutely. Wow, that's extremely distinguished. Um, it, it really sounds like you've had an incredible career, you know, working and, and leading at several fantastic organisations, which you've just mentioned. Are there any highlights that stand out for you? Oh, there's lots of highlights. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what really interests me and what really gets me going is I'm really passionate about leading charities to achieve their purpose, impact and deliver change. And a big part of that for me is how we collaborate with others and harness the power and ambition of people, whether that's our staff, our volunteers, citizens, scientists, uh, corporate partners, volunteers uh, around a set of, of, of uh, big life-changing goals and so for us at Cancer Research UK that's about improving cancer survival by three and four by mm -hmm. 2034 but other uh, uh, highlights in my career have been 
where I have worked at the MS Society and during my time as CEO, we, CEO, we oversaw significant progress in improving access to effective treatments for people with MS. That was from 40% to 58%. Uh, that was the charity's number one goal because so few people were taking treatments uh, which would have slowed down the progress of multiple sclerosis for them. I was also pleased at that time because we were facing uh, challenges about how we increased our income to fund this great research and the support for people uh, with MS. So we developed a 10-year research strategy and launched a major appeal called the Stop MS Appeal. And that was a big, bold £100 million fundraising appeal. And by the time I'd left, we had raised over £40 million in just three years, which was a huge change for that charity. Mm. Um, before that, uh, Age UK, uh, which is the UK's now largest older people's charity, I was one of a small number of people who led the merger of Help the Aged and Age Concern and uh, brought to bear a new organisation, Age UK, and it's often recognised within the top 10 consumer charity brands here in the UK. But the difference we made, uh, two things there during that period. One was running a multi-year uh, campaign that successfully introduced the Equalities Act in 2010. And that resulted in protection for all older people from age discrimination in the provision of goods and services and introduced for the first time um, um, uh, mandatory retirement ages. So uh, great there. The other issue was um, working to reduce pension of poverty. So again, a campaign we ran over many, many years uh, resulted in the Pensions Act in 2014, which uh, introduced the triple lock for the basic state pension which meant an increase of 50 to 70 percent of women reaching state pension age which with the full basic uh, pension and at uh, Cancer Research UK I think it's been great to persuade the government to set an ambitious target about committing to improving cancer survival uh, they're talking about 75 percent of people being diagnosed at stage one and two by 2028 we shall hold them to account whether they were able to do that and um, it's been an absolute privilege to launch several major innovations including a new research program called the grand challenge uh, which is funding the best and the brightest scientists around the world on the most difficult questions in cancer and bringing together teams from all over the world to help us accelerate progress against our mission and save lives through research. So, oh, I could go on. And in my 20s, <laughs> I was chair of the Fawcett Society, which is a gender equality uh, campaign uh, organisation. And uh, we we push the agenda on equal pay, uh, on changes to the criminal justice system and improving female representation in business, in public life. Uh, so, oh, I could go on. But uh, yeah, I'm full of interest and full of ideas about how to change the world. Amazing. I mean, they are certainly some some highlights, not even just career highlights, but just life highlights. And um, so some absolutely fantastic examples there. Thank you. Um, you've kind of touched upon it a little bit, but has there been a guiding kind of passion or, or principle that has guided you through through your career? Yes, I think so. Um, I love to work with great people, the best minds to tackle the biggest social challenges in our world. And for me, the charity sector is a brilliant place to be to do that uh, and to lead. 
if you fundamentally believe in social change. Um, in terms of my specific motivation in my um, role at Cancer Research UK, my life, like many people's, has been changed by cancer. So like many, I'm really determined to see us accelerate progress in cancer because, do you know, I'm just not satisfied with what's happening today to the millions of people directly and indirectly affected by cancer. And we have seen cancer survival uh, significantly improve, in fact, double over the last 40 years. But we're still lagging behind many comparative countries in Europe. Canada, Northern America, where we should and will do better in this country. So this was really attractive to me uh, to join Cancer Research UK. And of course, we're made up of an excellent group of people who share this determination, uh, supported by a fantastic network of scientists, GPs, nurses, researchers, supporters, and people directly affected by cancer. So you know, it's great to be part of that team, uh, all united by one mission. Fantastic. Um, that's really, really interesting to hear that approach and, and how it has transcended it across your career. Um, and obviously, you are chief executive of, of one of the largest charities um, in the world. And, you know, you've been a strong advocate for women in leadership. Why is it so important? And, and what do you think will help create meaningful change in supporting more women into leadership roles? Well, I strongly believe in diverse teams. I think it's well proven that the more diverse organisations are, the better they'll perform. Um, you know, a diverse team will help make sure we draw on the breadth and depth of skills, perspectives, that we represent the communities we serve and that we can make the best possible decisions. And while particularly more recently at Cancer Research UK, we've made progress and our EDI agenda, and uh, particularly on supporting women and women leaders. Uh, don't get me wrong, we haven't seen all the changes we want to see. Uh, and I think this is especially true in relation to women from ethnic minority uh, communities. But we have done several things um, uh, at Cancer Research UK. For us, it's been a focus uh, before I joined, uh, since 2017. And what we had noted, we were seeing a drop off at the most senior levels, particularly director and exec director. And so we've implemented some practical steps around that executive board sponsorship for about 15 high potential female heads. We've developed leadership programmes available for aspiring uh, leaders at lower levels in the organisation. I believe, particularly in relation to equality, diversity and inclusion, you have to set targets and be accountable for delivery against those targets. So we have um, targets in place around um, minimum of 50% representation at both director and board levels uh, within three years. We've made good progress. COVID has hit us harder because we've had to make a series of significant uh, redundancies and a reduction of the number of posts. But that's what we're continuing to aim for. And particularly through lockdown, uh, you know, we've all been hit hard. And I don't know about you. I know that there's many additional job I've been doing at home as well as leading CRUK. But we've sought to introduce a policy of best endeavours. So people really doing their best around their specific personal circumstances. And I know for staff, uh, those with, with children and caring responsibilities, it's been a really tough time. And we have looked at and are just about to launch a new flexible working policy. 
Wow. Um, so really quite a progressive one. Uh, okay. uh, we believe, you know, and I believe the world has changed and we need to adopt our approach to support well-being, retain talent, remove barriers to progression. And I think by um, evolving our approach to flexible working, we'll improve ways of working, help support people uh, achieve a better work-life balance and ultimately make faster progress. And that benefits everybody but you know the feedback I've had from my female staff is setting targets outlining the ambition you have around supporting uh, female leadership putting practical programs in place and continuously to evolve and adapt uh, flexible working are the areas that staff have said they've really valued. Yeah that's that's really interesting it feels like there's a sort of consolidated and, and multifaceted approach it's not just a one-size-fits-all and it really sounds like you're um you're digging into that at, at CIUK. One of the things that um uh people spoke to me when I first joined uh, it meant a lot actually to have a female CEO for a number of members of our staff uh, at yeah. Cancer Research UK and it shouldn't have surprised me but it did a little you know it really felt I was the first female CEO for this wonderful wonderful uh, charity and um, uh, it was it was interesting to get that feedback and of course what women want to see is people like them in senior positions of leadership as well so I think there's a, a, a sense in which you know, having senior women in these roles does send a message about, um, you know, we can all do this. Yeah, absolutely. Great, thank you. Um, and in terms of, of, of you know, the life-saving research that um, CLUK, you know, does on a, a daily basis, um, we, we all know with the pandemic and with Brexit that there have been immense challenges, um, particularly for academic researchers, and, and you know, we felt that here at Birkbeck. What do you see as some of the biggest opportunities and challenges for the scientific research community you know, in the years ahead, post-Brexit and post-pandemic? Well, for those of you who like to listen and read Charles Dickens, you know, some of us have described this period as being the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> yeah. um, of course, it's been a time of great scientific endeavour. Um, the science that's underpinned or hopefully recovery uh, and root out of COVID has been incredible. It's been amazing work, but COVID and Brexit has served as a double whammy, I think, for charities and universities. Yeah. The UK has so many strengths, world-class universities, world-class science, a proud history of innovation and invention. It, you know, we we invented the jet engine, the steam engine, uh, our great sciences decoded the structure of DNA. We have an NHS you know, free at the universal uh, NHS, free at the point of need, these incredible longitudinal data sets. We're a top area in Europe for inward investment. We have amazing talent and we've also seen that talent considerably develop in cutting edge AI and tech. So I think the, the, the good thing is, you know, we can and are globally competitive. Yeah. Um, and I strongly believe that science and research and innovation are critical to the prosperity of the nation to jobs, services, new products, transforming public services, and also addressing some of those big issues we face around sustainability and public health, for example, cancer. But we do face considerable challenges, not least the impact um, that decline in the economy, 
and COVID has had on university and charity funding. And I, I think we're at a point where our global competitiveness could be threatened. And to give you a couple of examples of what this means specifically in cancer, uh, we've been hit incredibly hard. Uh, we're anticipating a drop of income of 300 million over a three year period as a consequence of COVID, 160 million a year. And we've had no choice but to scale down our work to reflect our reduced income. Uh, of course, our determination has not faltered, but it means in the short term, we have to reduce the number of PhD students we support, we'll see fewer publications, we'll be able to fund fewer clinical trials. And I'm concerned that we will see some of our brilliant and most in-demand scientists leave for better funded areas of research, other countries or even other sectors. And these cuts would translate to fewer discoveries and slower progress. So at the moment, you know, we have a mission at Cancer Research UK is to absolutely outperform our plan to protect more of our world leading research and give our researchers the breathing space to do what they do best, which is disrupting the status quo, innovating and accelerating progress um, for us and in beating cancer together. So. I think we're facing together universities, scientists, academics, charities, a tough few years, but I'm completely confident that we'll recover in time um, and we will stay at the forefront of the global fight against cancer. Uh, we're as determined as ever to beat cancer and we've got to adapt, which we are, and change to this new environment that we're operating in. And we've got to exploit the post-COVID, post-Brexit environment and I think we can do that by enhancing the regulatory framework for cancer research, uh, focus on the clinical innovation that needs to happen to improve cancer survival and forge ahead with some exciting industry and academic partnerships. I think the NHS is going to play a big role in this uh, to deliver NHS reforms, perhaps using cancer as the exemplar to drive better disease interception, early detection and research intensive clinical care environment. And lastly, double down on the UK science base and ensure the government invests and uh, that its rhetoric is matched by its funding for uh, the joint aim that we support is ensuring the UK may remains a global scientific superpower. Absolutely. Well said. And I think as you, you know, clearly identified, there some real synergies between, you know, us at Birkbeck and, and the, the researchers and, and charities at the forefront of that, too. So, yes, thank you for that. Um, and actually bringing it kind of back to Birkbeck now and your time here. So you studied politics and administration um, at the college. What role did Birkbeck play in your career? Well, it's interesting, actually, and it's been lovely to reflect on it for this oh. <laughs> uh, interview together. So I was very fortunate to have the late Professor Ben Pimlot as my mm -hmm. supervisor on my MSc, Politics and Public Administration course. And he sadly died uh, very young, uh, 58 of leukaemia. Oh. Uh, he was an uh, important part of my decision about whether I uh, would go to Birkbeck. I was considering LSE and Birkbeck at the same time. <laughs> the, the other um, important criteria for me was uh, it enabled me to work full time and study in the evening. And that was absolutely crit critical because uh, it made it affordable 
to do a postgraduate education, uh, live in London at the same time. And uh, I was working at Westminster at the time, uh, as I started with as a, a researcher and then um, a political advisor. And it was near to Westminster. So uh, the great uh, excellence in, in teaching, um, uh, very attractive supervisor, um, the uh, ability to work in the evening and the location all uh, made it the perfect choice for me. And I very, very much uh, enjoyed my time at Birkbeck. Fantastic. Everything seems to have aligned there for you, um, which which is what we you know, often see from our students and, and our alumni. And um, and what do you think is special about the Birkbeck community? Well, I think the Birkbeck community is very special. I think there's a, a great standard of teaching. Uh, I think the fact that um, education is accessible is, is really important. And I think that diversity of people who um, come to Birkbeck, study at Birkbeck, adds to the richness of the teaching. So I think there's something very special about the diversity of uh, the uh, Birkbeck community. And that enabled us to really um, think through, challenge ideas, uh, assumptions, opinions um, in a very lively way. And I certainly enjoy lively debate and discussion. Um, and critically, I think, again, people being rooted in often having jobs, working, um, you get a certain type of person who's probably pretty determined and perhaps loves education who come to Birkbeck and I think that along with high standards makes it a very special community. Thank you, I, I agree Michelle. Um, and finally, uh, have you caught up or, or kept in touch with any of your fellow Birkbeck alumni since you left? So there's, um, you often come across people uh, on the course I did, there were several civil servants uh, <laughs> uh, who were studying away with me. Um, and of course, you keep track of, of some people who you know, have a good relationship and become friends after that. But it, you know, I, I watch it closely and would certainly recommend uh, the course I did to anybody. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And, and thank you for your time today and, and for joining us on this Albert Beck podcast. It's been great chatting with you. And um, I wish you all the, the very best success as you move forward with CRUK post Brexit and post pandemic too. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. And that's the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Louisa and Michelle. If you're interested in finding out more about our Birkbeck, please visit campaign.bbk.ac.uk to read more about the impact our community is having around the world. Thanks for listening and until next time. Yeah.